Amen. Well, the longest sentence in the entire Bible is verses 3 through 14. Nowhere in the whole scriptures is there a longer thought. As a matter of fact, to study it, it took us 10 weeks. This is week 11 in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. Sorry, not sorry. It's taken us a while to get this far. And now we're concluding the longest sentence. It's the deepest, widest, tallest, most rich sentence describing what you received in Christ, who you now are in Jesus, what you now have. Did you know that the longest sentence in the Bible took so long because of the great wealth you have, and it took that long to describe it? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys woke up feeling like the richest person in the world today? I told you not to raise your hand, so you didn't raise your hand. Most of you, though, woke up not feeling that way at all. Okay? You woke up looking at your circumstances, looking at your obstacles, looking in the rearview mirror, okay? looking on the most wanted list to see if you're on there. You, know? <laughs> you woke up. Listen, Paul would say, no, 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 no. Listen to me. Listen to me. You are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. And then he prays it in in verses 16 through 23. He prays it in, covering it down, because you and I are likely to leak it out and to forget the truth. By the way, if you forget the truth or it leaks out, did you know that it's still true? I'm just letting you know, okay? You can forget. You can even develop a different opinion if you'd like to. It doesn't change the truth. The reality is, is you're still rich, and he wants you to know it and to act like it. Look at verse 15, though. It says this. Therefore, therefore is always there for a reason. Okay, super deep Bible study tricks right there. <laughs> because of all the stuff, therefore, the, because you have all this stuff, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that, he goes into verse 17, and he prays for them. Here's his prayer. He says, I'm not, I don't stop praying. I continue to pray for you because of your riches. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Let me first cap on verse 15 where he says, I heard about your, your faith. I heard about your love. You guys are famous. I talked about this three weeks ago. Okay. Their reputation had preceded them. He's in jail in Rome, planted this church years earlier, heard a message somewhere that there's a church in Ephesus that's on fire, a church in Ephesus that has faith in God, faith in Jesus. Did you know that that would have been an anomaly in an Ephesian culture, that you believe in a monotheistic, that's a one God society? You believe in one God? Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. In, in Ephesus, there's gods for everything, temples everywhere. And you boiled it down to one God that we can't even see? Wow, you're crazy. That was what they were famous for. Did you, did you know that if you're a Christian here today, right now, if you believe, you're crazy too? You're in our culture. You're an anomaly. You really believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world, the one and only Son of God? who died and rose again and now lives in heaven and is coming again one day on a horse. You believe that? Here's the deal. I believe it with all my heart. I've weighed the evidence. I've checked it out. I've looked at the counter theories. It's the only one that checks out, okay? By the way, when a guy says that I am God, dies and comes back from the dead, going with him, going with him. Like that's, I've, he's got my vote. You know, I'm not sure where you're going with the guy that says he's something, dies and stays dead. What? Let me say this, though. These guys were famous. In other words, the reputation, they had a reputation about them that they believed in God. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was your reputation at work? Your reputation in your family, the reputation you had at school. Oh, yeah, that guy believes in Jesus. Oh, yeah, that gal's a Christian. Oh, yeah, that gal loves that girl. For whatever reason, they've come to that conclusion. That ought to be your kind of high-level goal. I want people to know I'm a Christian. I say that because it's not everyone's goal here, especially some of the younger people. Sometimes we want to love God, but I don't want nobody to know it. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to go to hell when I die, but I'm not going to live for Jesus until I get there. I don't want to go to... I told that to God a long time ago when I was eight years old. He said, would you be a pastor? He actually didn't ask me. He told me I was going to be a pastor when I was eight years old, and I said no. And I had this relationship with God at that age. I said, I'll go to church on Sundays only... And I'll carry my Bible there and then, but I'm not going to carry it with me everywhere I go and be that guy. I didn't want to until the Lord convinced me of himself. Listen, if you're a Christian here today, you need to be proud of it, okay? You've come to the, God's given you the evidence. God declared it. You believe it. That settles it. I've said this a thousand times. I'll say it again. It's not for lack of evidence that anybody rejects the gospel story. It's not because there's not enough evidence. That's absolutely not true. Someone says, well, if God would just prove it to me. No. <laughs> He already has. You have just decided to reject him. 
you have decided not to submit to him. You don't want to be accountable to anybody but the highest power in your own sphere, which is yourself. God has given so much ample evidence. The cell structure of, this, of the 88 trillion cells that make up your body, just one cell alone, has so much DNA structuring that there's no way that it would not, because of its design, no way, have a designer. It has a designer, but people don't. Anyways, I, I, I digress. If you're a Christian here today, let, let that be what you're famous for. But not just that. Verse 15 says, I heard of your faith in Jesus. Whoa, trip out. But I also heard of your love one for another. You actually love people. You actually have an enduring heart for the pagan, an enduring heart for the believer, an enduring heart for your parents, an enduring heart for your brother and sister. That's noteworthy. You know that love's not very popular nowadays? It's more popular to be a blogger, a vlogger, to be cynical, to be a critic, to be a whatever, to be, you know, have a know-it-all. To be known, have a reputation for love. Most of you guys know uh, Daniel Fusco from References. He's a pastor up in Washington. He's preaching right now in Ephesians 4. Uh, he just wrote a new book. It's available on April 1st, a couple of days ago. You can go on Amazon and get that. Daniel Fusco, in my opinion, his reputation precedes him as well. Not only is he famous, in my opinion, for loving Jesus, but he... He authentically, truly loves people. I remember one time I was hanging out with him in Ashland, and we were in a group of people, and he didn't know all of them. He knew some of them, but in that group of not all that he knew, but some he did, he hugged, looked in the eye, embraced every single one of them. It took like 20 minutes, and it was just who he is. He's just a lover, a hugger, and I thought to myself, man, I want to I have that same kind of genuine love. I want to hug people. I don't like hugging people, so don't hug me today. Okay, it's not, not okay. You know, it's okay. You can hug me. I'll try. We'll, we'll hug, you know. I'm working on it. I'll give you knuckles for sure. Love you. Here's the deal. Paul said this later in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen, please. He said, if you know prophecy, cool. He said, if you can do miracles, thumbs up. He said, if you know all things, awesome. He said, if you're able to do more than most, good on you. He said, if you can give all that you own to poor people, gold star. But if you do all of those and have all this, but you don't have love, that's what he said, but you don't have that one thing, you can do all things and you're no things. You're nothing. You can, most of you in here right now are trying to be more moral. I gotta figure, I gotta get, get this, I gotta stop doing that and start doing this. I gotta start, you know, and I get you. You should be more moral, okay? We should be on that moral pathway of righteousness where I don't become sinless. That's a tough one, but I am sinning less. As I grow, I'm sinning less and less and less. That's my goal. Okay, that's my. I wish I, I should grow in my morality. I should also grow in my knowledge. I should be studying some Greek and I should be memorizing the book of Romans. Why don't I know Romans yet? You know, and you should be learning the scriptures, and right, you should be doing that. How many of you, though, check this out? How many of you are pursuing? I'm just, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm not just gonna pursue morality. I should. I should be becoming more holy. I'm not just gonna pursue the Bible and knowledge. I should do that too, but you know what I'm gonna pursue? You know what I'm gonna be famous for? I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to pursue love. I'm going to be more loving to my spouse, more loving to my kids, more loving to myself, dare I say it that way, more loving to my neighbors, more loving to my coworkers, more loving to the government, more loving to those who are unlovable, more loving to the people around me. More... It's super easy to become more spiritual and more righteous and more moral. Easy, easy, super. Guess what? As you become more loving to people, you'll become more spiritual. You'll become more moral you'll become more righteous, okay? It's the fast track to all the things you're trying to be anyways. Jesus said it this way, greatest commandment in the world. I should write this one down, you know, write it down. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbors yourself. For on these two, how many? Two, hang all of the law and the prophets. It's, it's like the hinge where the doorway of righteousness opens and closes love. They were famous for this. And right now, check this out. You all in here, whether you're young or old, you're all pursuing greatness in something. I want to be great on Facebook. I want to get the most followers on Instagram I can. I want to be the best tweeter on Twitter. I want to be the most fit person in the gym. I want to be the most successful person on LinkedIn. I want to have the most things in my things. Right? The most. You want to be the, you're trying to be the best, you know, whether it's the best in your house, the best on your block, the best at your whatever. Oh, wouldn't it be radical to just pursue being the best lover? That's what they were famous for. Try it. It'll, you'll, be, you'll be so happy. You'll be the happiest person in the world. Instead of being critical, instead of being 
condescending, instead of being negative, instead of grumbling, if you choose to try and seriously love the people around you, you'll inevitably, the love of God will flow through you and into others. And like a funnel, some will stick to you. You know what I'm saying? Some will stick to you and you'll get the joy and the benefit. Well, he says in verse 15, I also heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And if you're trying to be famous, let's be famous for that. Then he goes into, uh, from the longest sentence in the Bible to the most important weapon in the Bible, prayer. Don't answer, your, don't answer your question. Don't raise your hand. Don't. Anyways, just, let, just sit there. How many guys would agree that you need to pray more? Like prayer. Prayer is most likely the most ignored discipline in Christianity. Okay? It's way easier just to get up a little earlier and do a little more, think a little smarter, work a little harder, go a little faster, abstain a little of this. It, it's hard just to pray. We're going to talk about that because Paul prays now for his group in Ephesus from his cell in Rome. And if you're going to be successful in loving God and trusting in Jesus and loving the people around you, it's going to happen through prayer. It's going to happen through the power that is not your own. As a matter of fact, prayer, uh, Pastor Tim Chaddock is preaching at his church this morning, and he's quoted as saying this, prayer is the key that unlocks deeper intimacy with God and a greater understanding of ourselves. Prayer actually brings you closer to God and more awareness to what's going on all around you. That's exactly what you want right now. You want to be closer to God. I'm telling you, whether you knew it or not, I just put it in words for you. You're wanting to be closer to God. It's through prayer. And you're wanting to know what in the world is going on around you. And that is gained through prayer. 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 And I'll tell you what, preaching is important, isn't it? Is preaching important? Okay. Coaching, directing, counseling, instructing, all important. Prayer trumps all of that in its power source. Here's the two things prayer will always do. Okay. Check this out. Prayer will always change you and sometimes change your situation. You realize that, don't you? Some of you don't pray anymore because you prayed for something to change and it didn't change. Okay. And you don't understand prayer. Okay. You prayed for your spouse to move away and they're still here. <laughs> I'm kidding kidding. It's not funny. You shouldn't have laughed. You prayed for something and it didn't happen. God's like, I'm not doing that. You pray. Actually, James says it this way. You have not because you ask not. Okay. You didn't pray. And then when you pray, you don't get because you ask amiss. You're asking for stupid. You, you ask for stupid stuff. That's what James is saying. Jesus is little brother. It's okay. But here's the deal. When you pray, if nothing happens out there externally, guess what does happen every single time internally? You change. Okay, prayer changes you every single time. Prayer conditions your heart. It unites your feelers and your direction and your being to the being and feelers and direction of God. It actually unites you with his will. Not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, can we do this? Lord, can we do that? Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you take care of that? Ah, but not my will, thy will be done. And you smile when you're done. You're connected with the Father, and then the outcome is up to him. Prayer is for you. It is for your well-being. It is for your benefit. It is for your homeostasis, for your health, for your wealth, for your prosperity spiritually that you might breathe and feel and utilize the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, if that's true, wouldn't you pray more? Every time I've ever gone to pray, instantaneous change. And usually prayer, for me, prayer is usually spawned because things are heavy, things are a little bit tough, things are a little bit un clear, I, ah, ah, and I go to prayer, and I find myself being healed. I find myself being directed. I find myself being clarified. What happens to the stuff around me? <laughs> it's not even my problem anymore. I gave it to the Lord. I love that vision, just, that visual, just giving my issues, which are oftentimes you guys. <laughs> I give the issues to the Lord, and then my heart is purified, and God then is allowed to then move in power and do things that I can't do, do things that you can't do. Pray. This is what Paul does for his people. Ted Decker, the author, uh, says this. He said, prayer may just be the most powerful tool mankind has. If that's true, let's be a praying people. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do. Martin Luther, the reformer in the year 1500, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. This is before Facebook, obviously. D.L. Moody says, he who kneels the most stands the best. Okay, pray. Pray. It's the most neglected discipline in your Christian walk today. 
You're here at church. It's a discipline to come worship. It's a discipline to sing. It's a discipline to give your tithes and offerings. It's a discipline to read. It's a discipline to worship. It's a discipline to fast. It's a discipline to pray. This one almost made me cry, but I stopped myself from crying enough time to cry. This is from Leonard Ravenhill. He said, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who's not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have more organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers and few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Prayer. Prayer is so simple. It changes you. That's good news. You'll see it instantaneously, okay? You'll pray and you'll be changed immediately. Your circumstances, that's in God's hands. Prayer. Prayer is tough though, isn't it? Remember when the disciples were with Jesus? They were with him, 12 dudes with Jesus, three years on the contract with him as disciples. Not that big a deal, okay? Just follow Jesus, do what he does, okay? They go into the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what their prayer language was? They prayed in there with Jesus, the three amigos, Peter, James, and John. They're there with Jesus. Here's their prayer language. I'll just go ahead and tell you what it was. Here's how they sounded while they were praying. You know, Jesus is on his knees, crushing Satan's head, bleeding out of his own forehead. <laughs> These guys are catching catnaps. Because prayer's tough. I'm going to be the first to, it's, it's just tough. It's weird. It's spiritual. It's physical. It's messed up. As a matter of fact, check this out. Jesus had his disciples, the 12 homies. They followed him everywhere he went. Only one time did they ever ask him specifically to teach them to do one thing. Jesus did a lot of things, didn't he? Took some water one time, made wine out of it. Now, if I was one of the disciples, I would have wrote that down on my big list. You know, hey, Jesus, I need to learn that trick. <laughs> Serious, man. <laughs> he walked on water, right? Oh, Jesus, I need to learn that. They didn't write that down. Jesus took some loaves and fish and fed thousands. Talk about a welfare program that's sustainable, okay? Jesus for governor, for sure, man, this guy. Put him in the legislation, this guy. They never asked him, teach us how to do that. As a matter of fact, the guys and gals that would follow Jesus and follow after him and want to know the miracles and the powers, they were not even necessarily followers. His true followers did say this, though, Jesus' followers, the 12 homies. They said, Jesus, we notice what you do and how you do it. You pray and then you do powerful things. Would you teach us to pray? That's what they said. Would you teach us to pray? Not teach us how to pray, which maybe is what you would think. Like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. And do I start with a? Uh, do I start by saying sorry? <laughs> do I start by saying I love you? Do I start by telling what I need? Is like a grocery list? Do I just submit it to him? Can I take a picture? Can I take a picture and send it to him? You know, does he have one of those little little scanner thing? They didn't say teach us how to pray. They said teach us to pray at all. How to pray doesn't matter. To pray is where you begin. Lord, teach us to pray. We don't pray like you do. You're doing things differently. And I would say this, wouldn't that be a noble, humble place to start this morning? Lord, teach me to pray. Put it upon my heart, like, like Leonard Ravenhill, like D.L. Moody, like Martin Luther, like Ted Decker. May that be what burns from my heart, this power. I want to see lives changed. I want to see people do well. I want to see the whole town saved. I want to see my own life be fruitful and successful. I don't want to crash and burn. What are you going to do? White knuckle this bad boy. Try super hard do better than you. <laughs> or, or you can commit all that to prayer and find yourself walking then in the power. This is going to be your secret weapon that you use to navigate the flesh, to win in your battles. The battles are won in secret, okay, uh, as you spend time with the Lord. How many excuses can you come up with uh, to not pray? Thousands. Too busy. I'm too distracted. There's too much to do. Once I get enough time, I'll pray. <laughs> okay. Uh, once I feel like praying, I'll pray. How about that one? You ever feel like that? I just feel like spending time with the Lord. When was the last time you felt like spending time with the Lord? You got to make that time to spend with the Lord. As soon as I feel like I'm in a prayer mood, I'm going to go pray. As soon as I feel, Satan won't let you feel like praying. Do you know that? Let's just examine our homie here, the Apostle Paul. How's his life going when he prays? He does have some time on his hands. He's doing time. He's in jail. But he could, what's he in jail for, by the way? Tax evasion? Do we? 
You know what? He knock off a liquor store. You know, he's whatever. <laughs> no, no, no. He loved Jesus and was famous for it and got arrested. A guy like him could easily make up some excuses why I don't have time to pray. I'll pray when things get better. I'll pray when I, you guys post bail? You post bail? You post bail? <laughs> no, I'm not praying until I get out of here. Instead of grumbling, Paul prays. Instead of waiting for things to get easier or better, instead he goes right into intercessory prayer, that is praying for other people. There is so much value, not in talking to people about people, but in talking to God about people. We love talking to people about people, don't we? Especially ladies. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Who said, is that in the notes? I'm kidding. Let me tell you what, though. Instead of grumbling about your situation, male or female, we grumble. Instead of grumbling or talking to somebody about somebody, talk to somebody about somebody. When you bring people, when you bring situations to the Lord, did you know the closest point between two people, whether you're with them or not, the closest way to find intimacy and reconciliation between a person is through prayer? The closest route to fixing something is praying. Whether you can pray right there with them or just for them, I guarantee you, you will find healing. You'll find blessing. Paul could have used a thousand excuses just like you. Man, I'm overwhelmed. My situation's not right. My friends aren't here for me. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm mistreated. Why should I pray for them? He could have been complaining, but instead he wasn't complaining. He was praying. And again, grumbling is just when we talk to others about people. Prayer is when we talk about people to Jesus and uh, here's the deal. Here's your, here's your assignment this week. I want you guys to do this, okay? If you fail at this, you're still accepted, okay? I don't want to put any pressure on you. Just, just do it better the next day. Here, here's your assignment. I want you to add to your prayer life right now. I don't know what your prayer life is, but I want you to take away. I want you to add to it 15 minutes per day of prayer. Five minutes in the morning, five minutes at noon, five minutes at night. That works. You can do three minutes at noon, three minutes at 12, three minutes at one, three minutes at four, and three minutes at eight. That works. You can do two minutes at eight, and you can do 13 minutes at seven. That works. You can break it up however you want, okay? Add 15 minutes and pray for yourself. Pray for the people around you. Pray for this church. Pray for what's going on in the world. 15 minutes, and here's what's going to happen. Not only will things around you change, they will, but things in you will change you will become a sweeter person. You'll become more focused. You'll become more stable. You'll become more enlightened. You'll become more healed and whole. There'll be change within you and change around you. Add it to your repertoire. Uh, start in the morning. Start with, here's, and you might ask the question, what should I pray? There's three things I'm gonna tell you to pray based on this teaching here. I'll just tell you, you can write them down if you're taking notes right now. The three things you're gonna pray for, for yourself and your loved ones, is that you would have a greater intimacy with the person of God, okay? That you would understand the plan of God and that you would walk with the power of God. That's what Paul prays for. That you would be closer with the person of God, that you would be closer with Jesus Christ. That is the sweet spot of life. And that you would walk in the call of God, the plan the purpose in your life has not yet been completed. Otherwise, you'd be out of here. Okay? God, call your number. Anybody got a pulse here this morning? Good. If you got a pulse, you got a purpose. Okay? God's not done with you. And what about the power? You need more power? You want, we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. He gets to those three things I want you to pray in uh, for your life. Look at verse 16. Are we even making any progress today? Are we going to bog down here? Are we in verse, what, what verse are we in? He says, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And he goes into this prayer now for his friends in Ephesus, for the body. And I just need you to follow this train of thought because is it easy to pray for people in need? It makes sense, right? You see somebody on the side of the road. You see somebody maybe with a bad bill of health, or you see somebody with an issue. It's like, oh, yeah, they need prayer for sure. That's obvious and right. You should pray for those. Check this out. Do you know who Paul's praying for in this portion of Scripture? The church at Ephesus. He had just gone through the longest sentence in the world, saying how rich they were, how blessed they were, how wealthy they were, how much they had. All the things of Christ were there. So he says, I'm going to pray for you. I better pray this in because you're going to be attacked. You're going to find yourself coming under scrutiny. You're going to find yourself. And here's the deal. Let me just be honest. Easy, obvious, makes sense. Pray for those who are hurting. Do that. Make sure you do that. But also make the time to pray for those who don't look like they're hurting. 
Most of us have friends, family, successful people around us. We just think, that guy's got everything going for him. That girl's got everything going for her. That ministry, so they don't need my prayer. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of envious and jealous of them. I kind of hope they fall. We don't actually say that, but we think that. Here's the deal. What if you, like Paul said, you are doing so well, I'm going to undergird this. I'm going to wrap this up in prayer. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've seen great ministers and great ministries rise, be successful and used, and you thought maybe in your heart, that's cool, it's awesome. And then all of a sudden, somehow, somewhere, it was undone, and there was a crash, and there was collateral damage and all kinds of pain and suffering. How did this happen? I would say it this way. Satan hates the church. He hates you. He hates Christians, okay? Unequivocally, your arch enemy. He's out to get you. But there are those who are maybe inflicting wounds upon themselves, living selfishly, self-interest, self-diverted, self-loving, self-serving, that he doesn't really have to level his biggest attack on. They're kind of spinning out, okay? But then there are others who are rich, who are wealthy spiritually, who are praying, who are valiantly moving forward. And Satan says, I'm going to do everything I can to take that person out. I'm going to take that ministry down. I'm going to attack them. And that's not just me or us or them. It's all y'all who are seeking to make gains in Jesus. I hope you know this. So he prays. Well, I better pray for them. They're doing so good. I better pray. And I already asked you that question. Um, How many of you guys have found yourself walking in some sort of opposition or attack since joining a life group, putting on a hoodie, getting baptized, becoming more known for your faith? It's going to happen. As a matter of fact, just this this week alone, just this week alone, I got three uh, different what I would call um, hostile interactions with folks. (laughs) That's the best way I can put it. People who are saying this and thinking that and finding this against me personally in this church, and I would just ask your prayers uh, for me. I would ask your prayers for this church that we would be those who are famous, not for what they think we're famous for, but for our love and for our faith. As a matter of fact, this is taken off the internet, and I uh, risk gaining unnecessary sympathy, uh, but I'll share some some statistics with you anyways. This is general and national. 7,000 churches every year uh, close their doors. I'm just done. Didn't, didn't make, didn't, done. Satan hates the church. You can just know that. Uh, 1,500 pastors every month quit. 1,500 pastors, just not going to do it anymore. Uh, only 10% of pastors nationally will actually retire as pastors. They'll finish their course. Uh, 90% will say, I'm, I'm going to do something else. This isn't worth it. Um, 80% of pastors feel discouraged. 97% uh, have been betrayed falsely uh, and accused or hurt by their trusted friends. 70% of pastors battle depression, uh, this poll says. 78% of pastors have no close friends, and 94% of pastors' families feel the pressure of ministry. Okay, And here's the deal. That's not just people like me on stage here. It's anybody who's striving to live for Jesus, to be famous for that. Satan is out to get you. And I bet you most of you don't pray for yourself as often as you ought to. We'll pray for the people around you. Can you just join me in praying 15 minutes a day? Pray for you yourself. Pray for this church. Pray for the churches up and down the coast that love Jesus. <sighs> Paul looked at the church at Ephesus, okay? They were slaying it. Think about that. Wouldn't that be so fun? People have heard of this church. We talked about that weeks ago. People are oh, 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 cool. Pray for us that we don't blow it. Pray for us that Satan doesn't take us out. That's what Paul said about the church at Ephesus. Man, you guys are doing so well. I'm going to pray, and I'll go into this prayer in just a minute. Not only does he pray for those who have the most because they get attacked the most, he prays for those who have the most, those who are rich and doing well spiritually. Listen, because they're likely to forget the most. Did you know that if you have been saved, you've been forgiven, you've been counted as worthy, you've been included in the church, that you're most likely going to forget how rich you are based on and compared to how poor you were before you got saved? So he prays for his church that they don't become dummies, that you don't take for granted the great riches that God's given to you. Don't raise your hand, but how liable do you think you are to just becoming a boring Christian? Yeah, I got the Holy Spirit living inside me. Technically, I guess that's part of the triune Godhead. Kind of a big deal. Guess I'll wash my car. (laughs) Yeah, all my sins that I've ever committed against the holy and righteous God have been forgiven and done away with, and they're no longer there. The handwriting of requirements against me has been blotted out and being nailed to the cross. Kind of a big deal. Pizza, anyone? If you're like me, you can forget what God has done for you and not 
be brought to worship and not be brought to service and not be brought to humility on the daily. I remember when I was single and getting my life together and I was working at the Greenleaf restaurant and I had all kinds of bills to the state of Oregon for my crimes and I was out of jail and putting everything together and just kind of making, making everything work. And I remember one month specifically, I paid all my bills, I budgeted it all out, I looked at the bank and I had $84 for a whole month to live. All my bills were paid. I was the richest guy that I knew. I was so stoked. I was like, 84 bucks, dude, winning. That's enough. All my bills are paid, man. What do we do? I could do anything I want. I can't go now. I can't even go into Fred Myers and get chips for less than 84 bucks. <laughs> too many kids, too much stuff. Life's expensive. And I just remember that, though. I had so little, but it was enough to make me that richest guy in the world. And as a Christian, as you advance, as you grow, as you learn, as you walk with Jesus, you can forget how rich you really are. He prays to them, don't forget. Don't be a weirdo. Don't just be saved, born again, going to heaven when you die, forgiven of all your sins, and not act like you're the richest person in the world. Don't be such a Debbie Downer. Turn that frown upside down and act like you're going to heaven because you're going to forget how rich you are. You'll forget how blessed you are. So Paul prays for those so they don't forget. Okay, so that's who he's praying for. Now let's see what he's praying. Look at verse 17. That, this is his prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, this is what he wants them, he wants them to have, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Stop right there, eyes up here. The first thing he prays for them is that they would have wisdom and revelation. Okay, how many of you guys want that? Like wisdom is applied knowledge, and like more understanding, like just smarts and superiority. Wisdom and revelation means kind of like foretelling and what in the world's going on. And most of us who are spiritual here say, I want revelation and I want wisdom. He boils it down real simply, lest you run off ahead of him. He says, I want you to have wisdom too and revelation, primarily and specifically in Jesus. The world around you has lots of questions, yourself included. What's going on here? What's going on there? And he says, oh, it's, kind of found in Jesus. It's very simple. It's very linear. It's, it's just, let's go back to Jesus. The wisdom you need, the revelation that can be yours is going to be found in the person of Jesus. Did you know that there is more to learn and experience about and with Jesus than you already have learned and experienced? Right now, you haven't, you haven't exhausted him, okay? You haven't figured it all out. There is more to him than you have learned. And so I would challenge you, I would pray for you that this would be our prayer, that this would be our fruit, that we would grow in wisdom and revelation in the person of Jesus. This is why I would encourage you to be reading the Gospels at all times. Throughout your Christian journey, read Ephesians, read Ezekiel, read Esther, read Deuteronomy, read First and Second Samuel, read First and Second Kings, read Judges, read Chronicles, read, but always be reading the Gospels. Why is there four Gospels of the same account? Because it's that important through all the four seasons of our lives that we're always in Matthew, always in Mark, always in Luke, always in John, just cycling through Jesus. You know that Jesus is like the bullseye, okay? He's not a side dish. He's not a widget or an app. He's not an add-on. He is everything, and there's more to him now than you've already experienced thus far, so don't stop short. That's Paul's first prayer, is that they would know the person of God, that they wouldn't settle for less and you may learn more Greek in your walk with Jesus. You may learn more historical data or cultural knowledge. You may go on mission trips. You may do all kinds of things in your life, and you may attain physical fitness or financial prowess, and you might have a friend circle that grows, and you might get other things that you're going to grow in life. You're going to get more. Did you know that Jesus, though, is the secret to everything? Okay? And I say this to the crusty Christians. Okay? The ones who've been there, done that. You've read it, bought the T-shirt. Jesus is real. You got it. <laughs> Okay, listen, don't stop short. Paul looks at this successful church, this thriving church, this famous church. He says, I'm gonna pray you guys know Jesus. What? I'm gonna pray you know Jesus. My pastor, Mark, uh, when he was in the ministry, found himself crashing and burning and, uh, before I knew him and, and uh, got out of the ministry. And uh, about five years later, was restored to ministry. And in an effort to succeed in his uh, second go at it, he met with John Corson. And he asked John, he said, how do I avoid burnout? How do I avoid blowing it? How do I, what's the secret? And John, with that big smile that John Corson has, said it's your personal and intimate devotions with Jesus Christ. It's that simple. If they go away, everything goes with it. If they're not there, nothing's there. If you have that, you have everything. I would just simply say, Paul is praying for this church to stay successful. 
It's in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul prays for them to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not so they would be prophets and know what's going on all around them, but so that way they would know, and that's biblical, and you should have that. But he prays in this portion that they would know Jesus. And this would be the knowledge, or should I say, this would be the heart of every pastor, every dad, every mom, that your people in your house would know Jesus better. I got three kids. I don't know what's going to happen to them. Okay? Eight, six, and four. I don't know the future. Okay? But if they love Jesus, if they know Jesus, if they want Jesus, if they like Jesus, if they have Jesus, <laughs> I can just sit back and watch. Have fun, kids. You got Jesus? That's going to be great. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, I'll bail you out if you make a big mistake. You got Jesus? We're good. Jesus keeps you on track, and it's the knowledge of him that he prayed for them to have. By the way, this prayer is important in our day of pluralism, of humanism, of crazyism. Is our world crazy? It's a melting pot of crazy, and it's getting crazier, okay? All roads lead to truth. All roads are okay, okay? Me, myself, and I, we're the only committee that matters, and I get to make the rules, and this is how the world works. Paul says, no, I'm going to pray that you have wisdom and revelation in Jesus because it's him that settles all scores, that rights all wrongs, and that decides what's true or not true. Did you know that you in this crazy 2016 culture of humanism and weirdness and all kinds of crazy ideas, you need more than ever before to know what the truth is and to know what the lies are and to be able to stand on the truth side? He prays for them that they wouldn't be swept away, that they wouldn't have all kinds of crazy, crazy ideas. Look at verse 18. He goes on, not just to pray that they would know the person of God, but that they would know the plan of God. He says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Everyone say, hope of his calling. He prayed that they would know the hope of his calling. Calling implies a life, a purpose, a plan, a direction, an agenda, a job description, a title, a name tag. Uh, something about you. He said, I just pray you guys get it. I pray you know the hope, okay? Hope is always forward thinking of his calling. Did you know that if you believe today, when you get up and leave, when you come take communion, when you go to pray 15 minutes later today, or 12, then three, however you break it up. Did you know that if you believe, oh, the script of my life is not yet complete. God knows it and I'm in it. And he's going to make sure that it happens accordingly. If you believe that, the hope that will then fill your soul and spirit. What am I going to do? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go? What's going to happen? How's it going to work? Give all that to Jesus. And say, guess what? He wrote the script already. I got some speaking lines coming up soon, I feel. I just need to trust him and have that hope of his calling. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll get there soon. He says this in verse 10. He says that God has foreordained good works for you to walk in. In other words, God's already put steps and spaces that only fit your feet. And as you walk with him, he'll show them to you step by step, and you'll do the things that God wants you to do. Right now, as I sit here, I'm standing, as I stand here as a 37-year-old dude following Jesus, I laugh. No way. Eight years old, God told me this is what was going to happen, what's happening right now. And at eight years old, I said, nah, I'm going to be a football player. <laughs> NFL. Joke's on me, right? God has a plan for your life, and it won't be stopped, okay? He has a, does that change anything? What am I, who am I, how am I, what am I? God knows, okay? And he prays that they would have the peace and the hope, verse 18, that the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. What does that even mean? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Understanding literally means your heart. That the eyes of your heart would pop open, and you'd be able to see what's happening. Did you know that the heart of every issue is actually just an issue of your heart? Your issue is not your issue, okay? Your finances, your health, your spouse, your kids, not your issue. It's not your issue at all. The heart of every issue is an issue of your heart. And he prays that their hearts would be opened up, that they would actually see things as they truly are and then find themselves walking as they ought to walk. Did you know that you can't change your heart? It's a scary little place. You can't. You have no access to it. It's deceitful above all else. Who can know it? You, you have no access to your heart. You do have access to your mind, though. You can change your mind. And if you change your mind, God will change your heart. God won't change your mind, but he can change your heart. And when you change your mind, he can change your heart. All you got to do is change your mind and let him change your heart. The heart of every issue is an issue of the heart. And he says, I pray that your hearts would be opened up. 
to the hope of his calling, to know that he is God and he's got a purpose and a plan for your life. It changes everything. I don't know the future. Someone just asked me driving out, they, what's the plan with the building? Where are we, how, how's the building coming? Are we going to get a new building? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have the same question you are. I don't know. And I smile because God knows. God knows the call. He knows the plan. He knows what he's going to do. He, he's actually going to provide for this body, you and me collectively, because it's to his glory and to his kingdom. It's, he's more concerned about it and more able to take care of it than we will ever be able to as a body. And so I'm not worried about it. Look at the last thing he prays for. He prays that they would know the person of God, that's Jesus. They, they would know the plan of God that is resting in him. But he also prays that they would know the power of God. Verse 19, he says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his exceeding greatness, wow, of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I just had to read that verse over and over in my study time, trying to grasp all the adjectives and descriptive words he uses to describe this power. We're addicted to power, aren't we? Charter internet calls you. For $9 more, we could give you double the internet speed, more power. What? Double the internet speed? Like I'm gonna get whiplashed so fast? Oh, yeah, you know, power. Like, take this and you'll feel the power. Take this pill, take this drink, take this thing. All of us, oh, 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 oh. He prays for them that they would experience the power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. You think there's a lot of power that is required for a resurrection to happen? Okay, not just any resurrection. How about a resurrection that you do yourself? Okay, would it, would it take some power to resurrect yourself? Resurrecting a dead body would be pretty intense. Like, you know, you're there doing stuff and power. You're dead and you resurrect yourself. We're talking that power. He's like, that power is yours. That's, I don't think it gets more powerful. I don't think there's a faster internet speed. There's nothing to compare it to. The only thing I compare the power of God to is the fact that Jesus was dead and he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and it's that same power he offers to you guys. And here's where the breakdown happens for me. I'm just gonna level with y'all. When I think of the power of God, I get a little discouraged, Okay. Because when I think of power, I think of the Power Rangers, right? I think of the Justice League. I think of Spider-Man, you know, doing crazy stuff and superpowers. I want to pick up a car with two hands, you know, and then hold it with one hand and throw it in the river. I want to do miracles and do powerful things. And I've personally not been able to walk in miracles and in powerful things. And I'll just level with you. That frustrates me. And so when it comes to the power of God living in me. I just accept it as theory. I believe it is true. I don't understand it. I don't even claim to have it. What if it's different than doing miracles and being powerful and healing the lame and healing the blind? What if it's different than that? What if the power, check this out. What if the power of God that he's given to you isn't for you to do things, but just to be you in a godly fashion, to be you loving the people around you, to be you, to be the, the craziest person that anybody's ever met, the most spirit-filled, the most attractive and magnanimous, the most miraculous and mysterious individual in the entire world. I often think that the power of God is to do and to do and to do, and he might just be saying the power is actually just to be, to be, to be. To let the fruit of the Spirit, there's only one fruit of the Spirit, not nine. There's one. There's nine attributes. The one fruit is love. That the fruit of the Spirit would be in you love, which is peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and meekness and self-control, against which there is no law. In other words, there's no limit. There's, you don't have to stop. God would say to you, you know what I really want to do? I want to download Holy Spirit power on you. Oh, cool. Are we going to go pick up cars? <laughs> the Lord's like, what are you talking about? You watch too many movies, Luke. <laughs> the power of God is to produce the fruit of God, which is love, which is the attributes of God, which is so lacking in today's culture. I'm gonna say this carefully and God correct me, but we don't need more healings, more signs and wonders, at least in the sense what we need, what we need is supernatural, spiritual, heavenly love, life-changing love supernatural. There's no one who can say, yeah, of course I'm loving. I do yoga. I meditate. I got up at four. Well, if you get up at four, you won't be loving. You know what I'm saying? No, no. This is the power of God. He's praying 
that the same power that resurrected Christ would be in them just to be you. Meditate on that this week. Lord, I want to be more powerful. To what end? I don't know. Maybe just be an amazing, miraculous me. Maybe be the best business owner, the best employee, the best servant. Just wrap. And you've seen this in people. Have you known somebody who's got saved and who's been changed and was crazy and cantankerous and evil? Don't say yeah too loud. (laughs) And then get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and they are a new creation. And there's no describing what has happened. There's no describing the change. Listen, that happens once and for all when you become a Christian. You're saved, praise God. But that working out of your salvation, that sanctification, not salvation, but sanctification is a process where Paul would pray for his church and I would pray for you and I would ask you to pray for me and I'm gonna pray for myself. Lord, let me walk in this power, the same power that rose Christ from the dead as I walk down the stairs at my house to see the terrorists that live with me. The three. (laughs) And I know that the power of God to anoint me to love them when I don't feel like loving them. I don't feel like serving again. I don't don't have enough. Oh, 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 miracle, miracle, miracle. Lord, give me the power to pour out on the people around me. Lord, give me the power to minister. Give me the power, Lord, to go into Fred Meyers and to talk to a thousand people that I know. (laughs) You ever been to Fred Meyers? Whoa. (laughs) Wouldn't it be radical? is if the power of God was more normal, more transparent, and more transferable in our everyday life than you possibly have ever imagined. Look at verse 20 again. He says, it's the same power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one which is to come, And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be the head over all things, that is, to the church, the church, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul ends this prayer for the church, saying, guys, the church, the body, is actually part of Christ. If you believe that, if you believe you're part of Christ, you need to understand something. God's going to take care of you. How many of you guys do your best to take care of your body? I'm not saying you're doing well, but you do your best. Okay, something's uncomfortable, you move. You don't like something, you change it. Your body, you, you, something aches, you're gonna deal with it. You, you protect your body. You love your body. You're in tune with your body. You know what's happening. Paul says, yeah, 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 check this out. You're his body. And you need to realize that he cares about you. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to empower you. He wants to use you. He wants to protect you. He's got a call and a plan for your life. Can I just clue you guys in on something, by the way? This isn't our permanent home. Okay, the hope of his calling, the hope, oh, this isn't all there is to it, is there? This isn't all there is. There's more to eternity. This is just the waiting room in the airport of life. I'm flying to eternity one day. If it weren't so, he would have told me. Acacia, my four-year-old daughter, asks about 30, maybe 40 questions about heaven per day. And I'm just real gracious with her. She asks all these crazy questions, and I just keep telling her the same basic truth. I said, here's the deal. Here's the two things about heaven. Because she always asks, can we do this in heaven? Can we do this in heaven? And I'm basically, she's my daughter, so I say, yeah, of course you can do whatever you want in heaven. <laughs> but I, cha- I say this, because your heart's going to be pure. You're going to only ever want to do good things. You can do whatever you want. So if you want to create a dinosaur that has puppies, that's okay. <laughs> yes, you can do that. You can do that as many times as you... <laughs> And lately, she's been describing heaven as a big hotel with lots of pools that Jesus is building right now. And I said, you know what? You're a budding theologian. Let me read that to you. Verse, four, or verse 1 of John 14, and I read to her where Jesus says that he's building many mansions for us and that he's making this place for us. Listen, this isn't our home, but until we get there, God wants us to do well. He wants us to know him better. Don't miss out on times with Jesus, please, this week, this day even. When you pray, just be intimate with him. It'll change you, and it will inevitably change the stuff around you. And know the hope of the calling that God has for your life. He's not done with you yet. You're still here. Can you believe you're still here? How many of you guys shouldn't be here? I look at things that happened in my life. I should not have made it this far. There's things where I should... I just want to trust. I want to... Cool. He has some cool stuff in store. I'm usually pretty boring. My ideas stink. His ideas are good. I want to be available when he wants to use me in his play called life. How's it going to happen, though? The power of God, the same power that rose Christ from the dead. That's what we have. That's what he's given to us. So if you have a struggle right now in your life, 
okay? The power of God is yours. If you struggle with depression, God has power for you, okay? You struggle with alcoholism, God has power for you. You struggle with anxiety and fear, God has power for you. It's not just the power of the miraculous to grow people's legs that have been taken off, to put eyes back where they don't belong. He's not, that's not just the only power that God gives. He gives power to overcome the situations and circumstances of your own life. As a matter of fact, C.H. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, the very same power which raised Christ is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness, to raise the thief from his dishonesty, and to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness. To raise the Sadducee from his unbelief. The power of God is for you to be you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and you to close your eyes and pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we respond by praying, as we respond by taking communion together, we do so, Lord, with expectation. We need these things to be ours. And so, Lord, very simply, we pray this in right now before we come to the table, that we, Lord, would have a greater intimacy a greater understanding and a greater revelation and wisdom with Jesus. May he become more important. May he become the bullseye in our life. May he become the centerpiece and the focus. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for some who's wandering here today that doesn't know the purpose of their life and is fearful, is scared, is wandering and wondering that they would say, oh, the hope of his calling? I'll take that. He's going to show me who to marry. He's going to show me what college to go to. He's going to show me what job to take. He'll tell me. I can hear his voice. I can hear it. I just need to listen to it. And Lord, for those who need power to just be them, overwhelmed in being a dad, overwhelmed in being a mom, overwhelmed in an issue, caught up in drugs or alcohol or pornography, Lord, in Jesus' name, may the power of God be enough, more than enough today in Jesus' name. Set people free. And if you have a specific burden right now that you need the power of God to address, I'm just going to wait for a second while you let the Spirit speak to you. A specific area in your life you need the power of God to address. The same, same power that rose Christ from the dead. And you need him to break a chain or two. You need him to kill a giant in the land. To move a mountain. Do not think that his power is limited. But instead, think about that which you need right now for him to do. That only he can do. That you haven't been able to do. And if you need his power in your life right now, would you just raise your hand in that specific issue? Just raise your hand right now. Lord, you see the hands going up and you know the hurting hearts. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that your power would be enough. That you, Lord, would both change that around the individual, but also change the individual themselves. In Jesus' name, Lord, restore marriages. Restore holiness and righteousness and purpose and pursuit, Lord. Restore joy, Lord, and satisfaction in Jesus. Restore peace, Lord. Restore power in Jesus' name. Lord, restore cells and health in Jesus' name, I pray. Have mercy upon your body. This is your body. Go to battle for us, Lord. Fight for us. Adjust. Do whatever. We believe in you. We pray the same prayer as Paul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.